All right, good morning, everybody. I got all dressed up this morning. It's a new shirt. It's a new t-shirt. Does that count? This morning, we will be in Exodus. I remembered. Yeah, 21 and 22, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we'll go over those two chapters. Believe it or not, I mean, that's a horrible way to start that. Let me just forget I said that. These chapters have a lot um, in them. Um, given that we're starting off with the law, God giving the law, for most of us as Christians, New Testament, you know, believers in Jesus Christ, we kind of, oh yeah, the law, you know, and then we get past it because, you know, we're, we're way past that now. We're, we have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and, and that's all true. But boy, if you, if you don't understand why God gave the law, we don't understand why we have the Holy Spirit and why Christ came or anything else. So, in these two chapters, there may be some actually some new things um, that you hadn't heard before. Um, still in God's Word. I'm not going to go beyond God's Word, obviously, but um, I got a lot of insight, I guess, as, as I was studying for <laughs> two weeks now in the same section. Um, God really spoke to my heart on some things. And, and one of them, and I'm going to start off with this, one of them is really understanding He's my Father. I understand he's God, I understand he's creator of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords, and all that's very true, and absolutely, but I'm his son now, you know, I've been adopted into his family, um, and, and, and I do respect him, and I do praise him, and I worship him, and, and we do everything we're supposed to do, but I also have to remember he's called me his child, he's made me a son, he's adopted me into his family, I'm in his court, so to speak. I'm not standing on that side of things anymore, I'm on this side of things now. And it's different, and it's interesting. I, um, he's given us the Holy Spirit, he's uh, said he's conforming us into the image of his son Jesus, who is God come in the flesh, and when we die we inherit all things, and are governing with him in the end. I mean, I don't know if I've grasped all, grasped all that before, you know, and understood what's happening, what's taking place in my life. It's, it's always been easy to, he's just the big fiery God on top of the mountain that we bow down and we worship and, and all because he's great and awesome. He's very benevolent towards us and he loves us. We can't believe he does and he hasn't wiped us off the planet yet. So thank you, you know, kind of thing. And that's been my attitude of worship and in a lot of ways, but he wants that different. He wants our relationship with him different. I don't want that necessarily, although all that's true. None of it was wrong. I want to take you closer. I want to bring you in. I, I, I want to adopt you into my family. I want you to be conformed into my image. Not that we'll ever be gods. Please don't misunderstand me. This is where I'm heading with this because it does say he's going to talk to the judges, which is Elohim, little g gods, okay? Not that we ever become gods, please don't misunderstand me, but he wants us to be conformed into his image nonetheless, okay? So as we get into this, please, that's where we're coming from, that's where we're going with this. He starts off in verse 1, chapter 21, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. Who's them? Them are the judges. Remember, uh, Moses' father-in-law came in and said, hey, what you're doing is not good. You can't make people wait in line all day long to for you to listen to the problems, and then you pass judgment on the problems and help them out, you know. Um, you need to uh, delegate. Uh, you need to get some guys in charge of 50, some guys in charge of hundreds and thousands and so on, he, and he goes through the whole list. I want you to raise up judges, those that can handle the smaller matters, and the biggest ones, the big ones, they come to you. But for the little stuff, you know, their tent pegs are encroaching on my tent pegs, Bob can handle that kind of thing, you know, let, 
let this, let's, let's delegate a little bit. That's who he's talking about. That's who them is. I want you to give them, the judges, these laws. I don't want them to, here's what I think should take place. I, I like Bob. He's my neighbor. And so, Fred, you're out of luck. You know, I, I don't want there to be any favoritism. I don't want any of that. I want you to follow the laws that I give you, judges, and this, this, so you judge properly so that you're never biased. Okay? So these are the things I want to give you. Now, that word, judges, is Elohim. I mentioned that before. Um, it means little g-gods. In other words, you're not gods. You don't create anything. You, you don't, you know, out of nothing, you don't speak, and therefore it is. You know, none of that happens. That's our God, the one true living God. But you do sit in the place. You do stand in the seat. You sit in the seat of a judge as, as a God in the sense that you're going to determine what takes place here. You're going to make a decision and they're going to have to follow what you say. And so you're going to be a little G-God. You're going to be Elohims, basically. Now, I bring that up because um, uh, in Judges chapter 17, 6, and in Judges chapter 21, 25, if you've ever read through the book of Judges, it's a, very, it's a frustrating book um, because they did, they did evil in the sight of the Lord and then they repented, and then they followed the Lord, then they do evil in the sight of the Lord. And I mean, in the entire book is just like that. And you, you don't have to read past the first two chapters. You know the rest of the book. It's just different people with different scenarios. But they, they do this constant fluctuation between obeying God. And, and what they said was there were no judges in the land, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That was the idea. That's what caused the decline. There were no judges in the land, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And the Proverbs tells us that in Proverbs 21.2, Proverbs 14.12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to destruction. And so God knowing this about us, and this is a lot of buildup for these two chapters, but God knowing this about us, it says, I'm going to give you some laws because you can't govern yourself. You're no good at it. You govern with... With, with your own thoughts, you, you think, and you're broken, you're sinful, you don't know the truth, you don't have the, the, per, the, the, the view that I have from up here. And so I'm going to give you some laws to follow from my perspective. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you, and you're just going to have to trust me, this is the best way, because you, when you guys do it on your own, it doesn't work. And knowing all that, knowing that Jesus Christ came, to show us, look, I am the expressed image of the Father, this is what it looks like for you guys to be judges. Now let me try to pull this together for you. This is what's going on in my mind, anyway, as I'm reading this. When you look at someone saying, oh, you act like God, and we say that because they've acted arrogantly, proud, over you, bigger than you, um, they know more than you, and, and we resent that about them. And so we say, you're acting like God. And they've been saying that for a long time because our view is if I was a god, boy, I'd really, I'd be a, I'd be a benevolent dictator, but boy, I'd be a dictator. And that's how we think about things. And Jesus, that's why God sent his son Jesus to show up and say, no, this is what it looks like to be God. I'm a servant. I'm humble. I'm always serving and taking care of other people. I'm looking out for the best interests of everybody. I consider your life more important than mine. And he tried to share that with everybody. Thomas, have I been with you so long that, you know, show us the Father. I've been with you this whole time. I've been showing you. That's why I came for three and a half years. I've been showing you who the Father is. Yeah, but you're not, you're not on a throne. You don't have a place to lay your head. There's no, 
You don't have a home. You don't have a whole lot of clothes. When we have to pay taxes, we go fishing and find the coin in the mouth of a fish. There's a whole lot of things that we're, we have misconceptions about what it means to be Elohim, small g's, in other words, judges, what we're supposed to look like on this earth, how we're supposed to act. And so God lays out, starting now in 21 and on, here's what I want you to look like. See, a judge should come to the bench, should come to the throne, if you will, or the seat of judgment very humbly, very carefully, because he holds or she holds in her hand the lives of those standing before her. Should never come to people saying, I've got a gavel, you know, I'm in charge, this is my, this is my court, I rule and reign. You know, it should never be like that. It's supposed to be, I mean, there should be respect and honor naturally coming from the people, and if there isn't, they need to do something about it. Obviously, that's what the, the bailiffs are there for and all, but they need to come to the bench not expecting bows and worship and adoration, but, oh boy, I got a big decision in front of me. People's lives are in my hands, you know, and I've got to make these calls. That's where he's getting at with this. I want you to tell them. I want you to give them these things, these rules to follow. Jesus inserted himself from heaven, perfect, never anything wrong, no sin at all, inserts himself into our messed up system, and we messed it up, and, and does what he does best in it. I'm the express, he was the expressed image of the Father, in it, in the middle of it. And boy, he stuck out like a sore thumb, didn't he? That's what drove everybody crazy. Jesus just doesn't look like us. He doesn't act like us. He's talking to people he shouldn't be talking to. The woman at the well, she's a Samaritan. We don't talk to Samaritans. You know. What are you doing talking to her? You know? You know, he's trying to show them. And so he puts this law in the middle. Now understand this. Way before the children of Israel were ever taken into captivity and knew nothing but slavery for 400 years, they did better. They did better than they're doing now. They're coming out of a mindset of 400 years of generational slavery. They don't know any better. And so he's inserting these laws into that mindset and he's bringing them out of that slowly but surely until finally we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he sets us free. There is no more male. There is no more female. There is none of that anymore. It's just believers and unbelievers now. There's children of God and those who are children of Satan. He describes the Pharisees that way. And he's taking them out of that. So understand when we get into this, some of this is going to seem really foreign to us. And thank goodness it does. Because if this seemed normal to us, we'd have a lot further to go as far as being conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, verse 2. I promise I won't stop every verse and do that. No. If you buy a Hebrew servant... He shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife of her children shall be her master's, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door uh, or to the door post, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. There's a lot going on here. First of all, they're not talking about buying and selling slaves. That'll be covered in verse 16. Let me read that to you so you understand he wasn't saying 
slavery is okay. Verse 16 says, he who kidnaps a man and sells him, if, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Can we get rid of that then? That's not what he's talking about in this first section. Because anybody that captures somebody and tries to sell them as a slave, they need to die. God says that right away. So what's he talking about? Well, this is employment back then. This is how things worked. We have a much better system now. We're, every one of us is our own union. We negotiate with our boss. Here's what I'll do. Here's how much time I'll give you. Because fine. And then here's how much pay I'll give you. And we decide. Hmm, I don't know if I want that or not. I don't know if that's enough. I want more money. Well, I want more time. You want more, you want more money, you've got to put you on salary, and I'm going to expect you, you know, 60, 70 hours. You know, and you go through the process. It's a better system. This is how they do it. They've come out of Egypt. Uh, I'm broke. I don't have any money. I want to be hired on. Okay, and they would move in. They would live with them. I mean, this is way, we don't think this way necessarily. I guess you could think of it as a live-in nanny or maybe a live-in maid if you ever had one. I don't know how many of you have maids. I don't have one, but um, if you did, this is kind of the idea. You give them room, you give them board, you give them some pay, some salary, a day off or whatever like that, you know. Um, but boy, they're your responsibility, healthcare, everything was there. And so the employer would say, here's how much I'm going to, if you, if you buy a Hebrew servant, in other words, that Hebrew decides, I want to be a bond slave. I want to work for you. You can only do it for six years. At the end of that six years, they're set free. And there's a bigger principle there. After six years, the person must be set free. Doesn't matter how much debt they have. They're set free just like we are in Christ. And if at the end of that six years they just say, I don't want to leave, you're great, I want to stay, then they would pierce their ear. That's, that's a, they did a whole, whole, you know, an all through this. I mean, kind of as a strange way to do it. I mean, a little ice and a needle would have been fine, but, uh, but it's supposed to be public. He is or she is ours. They stick this through there and they put a ring in it, and that means you are a willing bond slave then for the rest of your life now. That was a permanent deal. You didn't get to go back and forth and next year change your mind. No, this, this employer is awesome. I couldn't have had a better life. This is great. I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't want to leave. Can I stay? You know, sure, you bet. You know, and that's how they do it. He'd walk around or she would walk around with this earring and they know that that person has permanently, permanently put themselves under the authority of that boss. Now Christ calls us that. He, Paul calls himself that. We are bond slaves of Jesus. We've been indebted to him. We have so much sin. We have no idea how much sin we have. And we, we labor and we toil and we work. But Christ came and says, do you want to just stay with me? And out of love, we choose to be bond slaves. And we pierce our ear, so to speak. We don't do that anymore. But you make yourself a bond slave. I'm yours forever. I'll serve you forever. I couldn't find a better boss. I couldn't find a better, you know, and so on. That's the idea behind all this. Now, the whole wife thing, it's a little sketchy, man. I mean, if you go in with your wife, you get to leave with her because she's your property. But if, if she was given to you while you were a slave, you don't have any rights to any property that whole time. You have to leave her there kind of thing. And that should seem weird to us. If you're like, I don't know how I feel about that. That's a good feeling. You shouldn't feel good about that. That's wrong. It's bad. It's weird. But what we don't see taking place here, it's like, the, it's like the, it's the backside of every law. It produces something in someone. There's a personal responsibility for your actions and for your decisions. 
We've lost that, a lot of that, in our country especially. The idea that every decision has a way out, and this one doesn't. Are you sure you want to make yourself a slave to this person? Are you sure you want to put yourself under their authority? Think about it. It's a six-year commitment. There's no getting out of it. They own you for six years. might cause us to pause a little bit before we make those decisions a little bit. And on the employer's side, are you sure you want to give him one of your slave girls, one of the single ladies here? Are you sure you want to do that? Because if they have kids, and if they do, and he leaves because he doesn't like her, you know you're responsible for her and for all these kids. It slows everything down. It brings everything almost to a grinding halt and thinking, hmm, I don't know if I want to go through. I don't know if this is a good... makes you think. You don't just react, you know. All these laws are designed to do that. They're all designed to slow things down, bring it to a grinding halt, to a long, thoughtful process before you commit yourself to anything. Today, I'll just, I'll just file chapter 11. I don't care. What difference does it make? So I've got to fill out on my cell phone bill. Have you ever filed for bankruptcy? Yes, so what? Man, what if you were to be an indentured servant for six years because of that debt, had to live in their house and do whatever they told you, and later on you're going to find out they can beat you because you're a lazy servant? I don't know if I really want that car or not. You know, Maybe that house isn't worth it. Maybe we could find a smaller house, honey. It would slow us down a lot, make our decisions. Just, we'd be more wise. And God puts these laws in there, and it slows everything down. I, I like it. I'm glad he does that. Now, he continues on with this in verse 7. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, that's not what you think. Honestly, isn't, you know, sorry, Anna, you know, we need money. How much you give me for him, you know, for her? That's not how it was, you know. It was honestly hiring her out, basically. You want to hire her out. But it goes beyond that, too, because it's almost as if, uh, suppose someone wanted to marry her, okay? I, could, I, I don't give my bride away. I don't give my daughter away. I sell my daughter. I sell her. You've got to save up some money before you can have her. Now, that seems odd. Hold on a minute. This is, this is, this is uh, how do you, what's the right word? This is alimony ahead of time is what it is. Okay, so let's finish the thought, and then I'll, I'll try to help you out here. Sells his daughter to be a female slave. She shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. Weird. Little, because we're so far beyond this, thank goodness, right? But the idea was, and the, a clearer picture, way before the law is Isaac in Genesis twenty four fifty. Do you remember the story? Abraham wants to find a bride for his son, Isaac. And Isaac yeah, sure, I'll take a bride. So he sends his servant to go find him, different from how we do things. We don't necessarily just bring home a husband for our daughters and say, here he is, you know, or here she is, or whatever. No, we don't do that. Thank goodness. My girls are going, oh, you know. Yeah. 
But then he goes and he has his test, this litmus test to find this woman for Isaac, this servant does. Okay, I want her to be a real good servant. She needs to be a, have a servant's heart, broken, uh, humble, uh, beautiful nonetheless, but, but needs to be a nice girl, you know. So he has all his camels there and he waits for the girls to come out and he prays, God, I'm going to ask someone to feed, you know, to give me some water. And if, if she gives me water and waters all my camels, then great, that's... That's probably her. That's her, I think. That's her. Okay, so that's how it's going to work. So he waits, and then the first girl that comes out, it's Rebecca. And he looks at her and he says, that, you know, um, I'm thirsty. Can you let down your pitcher and give me? She, she says, sure, I could do that. I could water your camels too. And he's like, yes, okay, I got one. And he puts a ring on her, and he puts these jewels on her, and he begins to bestow on her all these riches, basically. And then goes home to the parents' house. It's really her brother and mom, Laban. He's a deal. Um, but anyway, Laban's got, you know, money symbols in his eyes. You know, here comes a rich guy. And, and he, so they have this conversation. The servant comes in and starts talking about it. Rebecca brings the servant home and they have this conversation talking about it. He says, Hey, I want, and there's, this is a deal that's going on. I want your, I want your sister and your daughter to come home with me and marry my master's servant or master's son. Isaac, I want him. To, I want her to do that. And they're like, "Well, okay." I, I mean, this thing's got to be of the Lord. The way this has all gone down, and he starts showering them with money, gifts, and things like that. He's not buying her yet, though. He's not doing that. What he's doing is, I'm giving you all this money. I'm doing this, and and things are exchanging and talking. When it finally comes time for her to leave, they said, "Hold on a minute. Let's just ask her if she wants to go before you guys go running off." Rebecca. Do you want to leave with this man? Do you want to go become this bride? And she says, I do, I will, I'll go, I'll go. And so she leaves. Now, this dowry is what we would call it today. This dowry, this down payment on her is there. If Isaac does anything foolish, they don't get that money back. It's hers. It's it's enough to set her up for life. She is taken care of completely. If Isaac ever does anything and deals deceitfully with her, she can go back home. She's not a burden, not that your daughter would ever be a burden, but the money is there, it's hers, it's her dowry, and they're set. It slows everything down. I'm going to give, I mean, imagine what that would be. Suppose she's 18 years old and she dies at the age of 90. What would her annual income be for all those years? That's how much was given at that time and kept in escrow basically, in case anything went wrong. Boy, that'd slow you down, wouldn't it? Instead of saying, I think she's the right one. Nah, she's not the right one. Kick her out. I think she, that's how we do it in America anyway. I think she's the right one. I tried her on for size, but nah, she didn't work out. And, she, and she's left and she's been, you know, and what do I do? You know, what do I do? Boy, but if you had to give, I don't know what the, million and a half up front for her, that you don't get back, it slow things down a little bit. The idea is it's protection for her. God's looking out for her. He's watching out for her. He's making sure, you know. Because if any of these things go down, understand that that money goes back. And you get that from Genesis 24, 50. You can read the whole story. It's great. And that's how it's supposed to look. But now he's dealing with people with the slave mindset. With they, they don't think right. They've been property for 400 years. Women have been property. Men have been property. Kids have been property. They've all been property. That's all they know. And God is slowly but surely bringing them out of that mindset. So he starts off with this. So get that. We've got to understand that. Verse 12. 
He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. That's not how it was in Egypt. The Egyptians could beat him to a pulp until they died, and it was no big deal. Just throw him in a big mass grave, and they were done with it. That's not how it is anymore. He'll be put to death. You can't strike a man so that he dies. You die. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. In other words, self-defense, you're covered. This guy jumped me. I don't know what happened. I popped him. He died. Not my fault. You know, you're covered. But if a man acts with premeditation, malice against his neighbor, to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. That's it. That slows things down in the argument, doesn't it? See how he's slowing things down? Don't just go popping people. No, there's, there's, there's serious consequences for my actions. I don't get to just hit somebody after, in a bar fight. What if he dies? causes everybody to slow down. It's meant to be a deterrent. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And that's for any reason. You don't hit mom and dad ever. Verse 16, he who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. They're done. No slavery. No slavery. What, what happened to Joseph by his brother's hand is, that was deserving of death. All of them should have died. Now here's the thing. I just gave you an example of something before the law. That's what brought them into being servants in Egypt, in, in Egypt was the fact that Joseph was sold as a slave, kidnapped by his brothers, sold to the, the, you know, the traveling caravan. They sold him into Egypt. He's Potiphar's servant and so on. You know the story. What did Joseph do, though? See, what Christ came to do, and this is what's interesting, in, in, is that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, he elaborated on the law. He says, I, I know that you've heard it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and we're going to get into that section right here in a few minutes. I'm telling you, if someone slaps you on the, on the cheek, I want you to turn and give your other cheek to him. And this is God who wrote this saying that in the New Testament. These are limitations in the law. These are the maximum that you can do. I don't want you to go beyond this. I want you to stay within the bounds of the law. Okay? I don't want you to do this. But it would be better if we acted like Joseph, who when seeing repentance on his brother's faces and fear and all that and understanding that God's taken care of him this whole time, gave forgiveness to them is the idea. We don't have to knock someone's tooth out if they knock your tooth out. It's not required, but that's all you can do. You know, you knock my tooth out, I'm going to knock out ten of yours, kind of thing. Because that's our tendency as human beings. You know? I, I, you see that happen. You know, maybe you had a brother or a sister that you kind of wrestled with or tussled with a little bit once in a while, just playfully. But then they, then they get you good. Ah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just having fun, you know? Oh, yeah. Oof. And there they go in the living room, you know? It, it escalates. We escalate things. Now, Saldanas are laughing over here. I don't know what's going on. She's like, <laughs> you got to be careful that we don't go beyond. So he sets these rules in place. He sets these limitations on us. It's better to forgive. It's better to turn the other cheek. So both sides, you know, it's both sides. Now, the, a lot of times we expect the victim to just take it and, 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 and to, to be the forgiver. 
they're not required to be. and God doesn't require that. He's asked that. He would hope that that would maybe take place. But no, as far as justice goes, as far as the judges go, mm -mm. no, the victim has more rights than the perpetrator. Supposed to anyway. Supposed to. That's the idea. In God's economy anyway. So, don't be punching people. If, you, if they die, they, you're in trouble. Now, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. In other words, he doesn't have to die. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. So you've got to pay all of his medical bills and you've got to pay all of his downtime, all of his back wages, all the time that he missed. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on there, you know. How much did you make last year? Five million bucks, you know. Man, I wish I wouldn't have hit you, you know, kind of thing. That's the idea, slow things down a little bit. I didn't make five million, but that's probably what I'd say if he had to compensate me. So be careful. Be careful. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished, notwithstanding if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property? That should raise an eyebrow when we're reading that. But now, if I'm thinking I need to go into debt, and I think I'll go into debt, and I think it's okay because I really like that house, I really like that car. They didn't have cars back then, but you get the idea. So that I put myself into this person's, under this person's authority for six years, and God just said they could beat me with a rod if I'm, not, if I'm too lazy? See how that slows things down again? They're going to want that car. I don't know what kind of guy this is. He seems nice, but he's trying to sell me a car. You know? So you can't kill him. But you can beat them if they're lazy. What else do you do? I mean, consider that. You can't fire them. You've already paid for them. You can't get your property back. You can't do it. So the idea is, yep, whack them. Whack them. Get them to work a little bit harder. You know, thank goodness we don't live under those circumstances anymore. They just fire you today. It's always even every two weeks or however often you get paid. You're even, you're square every two weeks or every month or however times you get paid, you're square. So you can separate at any time. Not like here. This is a six-year commitment. Well, I'm not going to have him sit on his bed for six years. I got robbed. Get up, you know, and work. You see what they're doing here. Okay. <laughs> you're like, I don't see what they're doing here. Well, thank goodness we don't live back then, right? Things are different now. We've, we've come a long way, which is good. But that's the idea. Don't think you're going to just sit around for six years. This guy can hit you, and as long as he doesn't kill you, it's fair game. I think I'll work. Good idea. Good idea. So, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him. And he shall pay as the, judge or the, uh, as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That's the idea. So judges, don't be, don't be soft. Your responsibility is to fulfill this. It's up to them as to whether they want to impose that or not. It leaves it up to the woman and the, and the husband to decide what takes place here. So... That's where that hand for hand, eye for eye, tooth for tooth comes from. You can't go beyond that. You have to stay within those limits. But as judges, you must impose that. Okay? 
If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. Back to the beating thing again, okay? You're going to lose five years worth of money. That's a lot if you pop this guy in the face and ruin his eye. So that slows you down. It causes you to back off a little bit. I'm not saying we do this today. Understand what he's trying to bring across, though. Be careful. Be careful with each other. Be careful. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. Just a tooth? You know, yep, one tooth. Really puts the limits on this whole vision we first got when he's beating him with a rod, right? Things are slowing down here. Things are getting... All these laws apply at the exact same time. Okay, so I can beat him? Yeah, but if you do this, 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 or this to him, when you're beating him, boy, you're... Uh, well, beating doesn't sound like a great option anymore. Well, no. Pulls us down. Here's why. We're supposed to be governed by the Holy Spirit as Christians. We're supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be motivated to worship God from, a, from love. We're supposed to be bonds. It's supposed to be this wonderful relationship. We're supposed to be looking out for each other as Elohims, as little gods, with this idea that everybody's better than us, that they're more important than us, that their lives are more important to us. And he's going to continue this thought. But because we're not led of the Spirit, because we are led by the flesh a lot of the times, He's got to put these in place to slow us down, to keep, hey, it's going to hurt you if you do this. That's, that's unfortunately how we're governed by God when we're in the flesh. He doesn't want that. He's never wanted that for us at all. But if you're going to act in the flesh, and if that's all you respond to is the flesh, I'm going to have to hurt you in the flesh then. I'm going to hit your wallet. I'm going to hit your tooth. I'm going to hit your eye. I'm going to do these things. It's going to slow you down and make you think, okay, well... Instead of treating others better than they treat you, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how the Holy Spirit leads us. We treat others as they treat us. The golden rule, we say, treat others as you would have them treat. We're supposed to treat them better. We're supposed to go beyond that. But since we're led by the flesh, a lot of times we're, we're governed by that. And God says, fine, you do that, then this is going to happen to you. Well, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm not going to do it to them. It's, it's the wrong thought. It's, it's Confucius. That's what Confucius said. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Where Jesus changed everything, he says, I want you to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, even if they don't, is the idea, you see. So the flesh being governed by pressure on the flesh versus being led of the Holy Spirit. God is pushing us towards and wanting us to be like Christ, led by the Spirit, regardless of whether they crucify you, regardless of whether they beat you, regardless of the crown of thorns that you may wear, regardless of that, you love them with an everlasting love. So we've got the teeth and we've got the eye thing. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. For if the ox tended to thrust, but, I'm sorry, but if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past and it had been made known to its owner and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. That's a pretty big responsibility for a vicious animal. If it's the first time they've ever done it, okay, we're not going to hold it against you, but we are killing your animal. The animal's nuts, you know. We're taking that thing out. 
But if you knew about it and you didn't do what was right to restrain that animal, you die also. But it'd put a new spin on controlling your dogs, wouldn't it? You know? I got upset. My dog got up. My dog, Liberty, ironic name, remember Liberty, the one who loved Liberty and ran every time it could, that stupid lab, as far as it could. Look at you when you get about 15 feet from it and take off again. Oh, this is so infuriating. Until he finally ended up in high V at their buffet one time, and the cops got him and had to take him, and I got a ticket for dog at large twice and had to show up in court for this dog. Stone it. Feel free. But I tell you what, if he was a vicious dog and had bit a kid, a neighbor kid, and I found out about it, and I didn't do something about it from then on, and that dog went and bit another kid, and everybody knew that I knew about it, and my life was required at the hand because he killed that kid or something. See how that responsibility, personal responsibility, God puts that in here. No, it's not okay. No, it's not just the way animals are. No, I don't care if you say they're nice all the time except they're on. That kid must have been provided. You ought to be able to poke a dog in the eye all day long and it won't bite you, is the idea. You're responsible for that dog and, you know, or anything else, any other animal. So he, he sets this up. Look, be careful with your stuff. You're responsible for that stuff. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life whatever is imposed on him, whether it is, has gored a son or gored a daughter According to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. If a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give him money for their owner, uh, give the money for their owner. But the dead animal shall be his, so you get the meat from it, is the idea. If one man's ox hurts another's so that it dies, then he shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. So they both get a side of beef and, and they get the money from the, from the crazy animal. Or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in time past and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his own. In other words, he gets the, the victim gets all of it, is the idea. So if it's an unknown offense or first-time offense, Okay, you can divide everything up. It's just, hey, you just got a crazy ox. Everybody gets a crazy ox once in a while, you know. But if it happens to do this all the time and you knew it, then they get everything. They get all of it. Okay, we're not going to have time for 22. I was hoping for 22 because it goes on to personal responsibility. Okay, so let me sum up then because I don't want to get into another chapter here. Because 21, as it talks about some specific laws, and it was designed for a specific time, and I don't want to spiritualize the text too much, understand that we're not supposed to be governed by laws anymore. When I see a police officer coming down the road, I shouldn't be gripping my steering wheel tighter and, and be, oh, I wonder, you know, the thought should, I should, I should be so at ease because I'm being led of the Spirit. I know I haven't broken the law. In fact, I keep the law more than the law requires is the idea. And he wants us as a church, as Christians, as believers, to be governed that way. I don't, I don't want to have to worry about loopholes in the law. How can I get out of this one thing? I know the Bible says this, but can I get out of this something? That means the law is necessary for you because you're governed by the flesh. 
Whereas if you're governed by the Spirit, the natural thing to do is I, I know what's just, I know what's right, but I'm going to go beyond that, above that, further than what it's required of me, and I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let go. I'm not going to require it because Christ is our example. He's made us new creatures in Christ. When we become Jesus, when we become Christians and fall in love with Jesus and are, and are serving him wholeheartedly, and he's our Lord and Savior, he's given us his spirit. It's huge. He says, I, I haven't, wherever I've called you, I've also equipped you for that. We've all been called to be Christians. We've all accepted, I believe, I hope, that calling to be a Christian, to love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Now we're required. We're required to be led of the Spirit now. We're a new creature in Christ. We're beyond the law. We're beyond the Ten Commandments. And I don't mean above it like it doesn't apply to us. I mean we go beyond it. We're supposed to. I want my kids to respect me. I want them to love me, but I, I don't want them to ever forget they're my son or they're my daughter. And that my whole life, since they've been born, I've been training them up the best I can, flawed as I am, to be like me or to be like their mom. And there comes a point in a, a child in their life where they have to decide, I can no longer say, yeah, but that's you, dad, or yeah, that's you, mom. no. We've given you years and years of training to be like and to act like and to grow up. And I've always been behind the curve when it comes to maturity, always. Believe that, right? You can't believe that, can you? It's a surprise to all of you. I've always been behind on that. But it doesn't take away my responsibility. I can't say that forever. Well, I'm just a kid, you know, 47 now. Not just a kid anymore, you know. I can't say that anymore. I can't just say, well, yeah, but that's God. That's Jesus. That's what he would do, you know? No, he's been giving me the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's been guiding me, and I, I'm perfectly equipped to act like him. I've been fully equipped to be like Christ on this earth. And so as much adoration and love we have for the King of Kings and all, remember what he's called us to be as Christians, like him. That's what Christian means, little Christ. We may be immature in some areas, but we're supposed to grow up into that. We never get to stay forever. Yeah, but I'm not Jesus. No, but we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be. He's made us that. He's equipped us. It's to your advantage, he told them, that I go away. Because if I do not go away, I can't send the helper to you, the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to have one of me on this earth. It's a whole other thing to have lots of hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the mind of Christ on this earth. And so that's where we leave off today. We've got a big responsibility and that's to grow up into Jesus, to be like him. We'll never be creators. We're never going to be God's capital G. No, don't misunderstand me, but he does expect us to look like his sons and his daughters. The only way we can do that is if we're led of the spirit, not led of the law, led of the spirit. It's way beyond. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. We thank you. Uh, this chapter is interesting, Lord. All of them are going to be, all these laws that you lay out, it's because they're governed by the flesh right now. They don't have that relationship that we have. They're not blessed to have that, uh, that filling of your Holy Spirit that we have as believers, Lord. But we have that. Lord, as we go through the New Testament and you tell us that I no longer call you servants, you're no longer slaves, you're no longer governed by the flesh, governed by the law. I call you friends now 
words, we're expected to act and be like you, Lord. So Lord, it help that to never come out of our mouth. So oh, that's just, that's Jesus. Lord, we know you're our big brother. You call us that. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We may be younger than you. We may be more immature, but it doesn't mean you want to leave us that way. Lord, help us to grow up into that responsibility, into carrying your name properly, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.